I mean, that's the thing. If, especially in the arts, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. There's, there's no reason to do it unless you really, really want to. You're not going to get rich. Your, your fame is going to be limited to a very select group of people if you're doing comics or podcasting or whatever. Like you, you have to really love it. And there's so many other things that you can do if you don't. Hello, everyone. It's been a while. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame. Episode 71. I'm Jamie Berger. I'm going to dispense with any rambling monologue today and just go straight to the episode. Our guest today is Mari Naomi. I call her a graphic memoirist to myself. Uh, That is, she's a cartoonist who writes personal nonfiction books and strips. Uh, not novels to this date, although I believe YA novels uh, or teen novels, but I haven't read those. I've only read the adult stuff. Anyway, uh, I used to read her strips in the rumpus uh, a few years back and somehow happened to have started following her on Twitter, I don't know, a year or so back, and even became her Patreon patron. And earlier this year, she had a tweet about the the negative aspects of fame, uh, which we'll talk about and which I took a picture of, but I can't seem to find. I hope it'll be in the show notes. But that tweet made me, gave me an excuse to invite her on the show, which I'd been wanting to do. Uh, And she said yes. And she sent me PDFs of her books and a strip that was very uh, related to the topic called Heartthrobs about her long ago meeting with Duran Duran that I will also include in the show notes that you can find at 15minutesjamieberger.com. One last quick announcement is that John Hodgman, the guest of the very first episode of this podcast, will be back next up. Finally, here's a little bit more about Mari Naomi from her own website. Mari Naomi is the award-winning author and illustrator of Kiss and Tell, A Romantic Resume, ages 0 to 22, Dragon's Breath and Other True Stories, Turning Japanese, I Thought You Hated Me, and the Life on Earth Trilogy. She is the founder and administrator of the Cartoonists of Color Database, the Queer Cartoonist Database, and the Disabled Cartoonist Database. She is the co-host of the Ask by Girls podcast with author Miriam Gerba. Check out a recent episode uh, with Michelle T. That's my little note. We spoke twice in July, and I tell you it's twice because this episode has a false ending where we say goodbye, and then I think of some things we didn't talk about until I call her back. So if you if you don't want to hear, if you're starting to tune out when we say goodbye because you don't want to hear my outro, stick around because there's a false ending. All righty. Here's my conversation with Mari Naomi. Hey, Mari. Sorry for the misunderstanding. I'd written it down that we were supposed to talk tomorrow, oh. um, but I got your email right as I was pulling into my driveway. That's so. funny. And I was sure that it's actually four o'clock your time, not my time. So I, I screwed it up either way. 
<laughs> well, now we're here. <laughs> all right. If you're good now, then let's chat. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> when I talk to people for, for this show, I often try to warm them up to the overarching theme, but you seemed pretty inherently interested in it uh, from the get-go. I'd wanted an excuse to 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 have you on here, and then you wrote a tweet. What was it? Probably three three months ago now. That was about fame and its perils. I I kind of felt like it must have been after being trolled or something. That happens uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the tweet? I mean, it was fame does not equal does not equal does not equal. Oh yeah yeah it doesn't equal money it doesn't equal really anything except trolling. <laughs> Which is a little cynical. <laughs> well, it, it is, but it's not wrong. Um, I sometimes will argue with people that it, it equals access to certain things. Potentially, yeah. Although that, that, I feel like that comes later and it's a lot. People assume that anyone who's famous is rich. And I think I really did when I was a kid too, but that's really really not the case yeah i i had the exp i had a, a small town version of experiencing that uh after living in cities all my life i've for the past 13 years lived in a small town and for 10 of those years i was one of four owners of a tiny bar and restaurant and just that made pe me people think that i was some kind of a big shot and and that i should be buying the drinks or at least I internalized that feeling that I got from the town. Um, whereas we were all just barely scraping by. Sure, restaurants and bars are a difficult business. Horrible. They're, they're, it's kind of a, a fantasy for a lot of people to, oh, I'll retire and run a restaurant or a bar. In my case, I, I always thought an antiquarian bookstore. But when it gets down to the nuts and bolts, running a business is really, really hard and not acting at all. <laughs> yeah, retire and open a, a a bookshop and cafe or a or or a bed and breakfast. A bookshop cafe. I just imagine every time I've done a table at a convention and someone puts a coffee down next to my valuable merchandise, and I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a wonderful, as close to famous bookshop and cafe as I know uh, outside of you know within cities here called the the Montague Book Mill that has become a legend and. It started being a legend when the, the people who started it were friends with the McSweeney's people and people would come through and read. And it became this kind of hip place that now still has some cachet in the greater world. It's this little old mill on a brook. It's amazing. Oh, are you on the – so you're on the East Coast, correct? Yeah, in Western Mass. For some reason, when I first was chatting with you, I had the impression that you were too. I don't know how I got that. I was recently at Yale, which is on the East Coast. Maybe you saw me tweeting from Connecticut or something. <laughs> Just don't know. No, I thought you were in the Boston area for some reason living. Um, did you go straight from the Bay Area south to LA? Yes. Well, I was born in Texas, and then I lived in the Bay Area for a billion years, and then I just moved here about six years ago. So I guess I guess it's been a little while, but it feels like it just happened. A friend of mine posted one of the nicest, this might be a little too inside, uh, I, I don't care, listeners, I hope you enjoy this. A friend of mine, Mitch, posted a picture from Pride this weekend in San Francisco in one of the few heartwarming moments still to come out of the mission. 
it was, um, you know, what was the elbow room? Yeah. And yeah. before that it was Amelia's. I didn't know no, that. It was, it was a, a lesbian bar of, of great fame before I think either of our time in San Francisco. And, uh, the woman, when I bartended there, the woman who started Amelia still owned it, but she had changed it to the elbow room because she said, uh, that she, I, she pretty much said the dykes don't drink enough. Um, <laughs> and, but for pride this week, now it's like the Valencia room and it's got a horrible neon sign, but they switched it out to an Amelia's sign this weekend. And I thought, Aww. yeah. So I, I usually have a bunch of notes for people, and today I thought I wouldn't because I'm I'm getting a little frustrated with the same format and asking people the same question. So I've just got a few little notes. So many people who are what we would call indie, who aren't rich, who have some name out in the world, like to come on the show and quickly duck the topic and say, well, it's really a claim, and that's a totally different thing that, that I'm after. And I'm like, mm, it's a bit of a hedge. It seems to me. Well, so I think I feel when I was it was I was a kid, I felt like celebrity was a certain thing, and now, now I just don't know. I see those People magazines or whatever with Jennifer Aniston on them, and I just feel so bad because she can't leave the house. Yep. And yep. and that's horrific. That's I don't think that little kids when they think I want to grow up to be an actress or you know movie star or whatever they don't they're not thinking oh I can't leave the house and every everybody will be trying to take an unflattering photo of me and every heartbreak I have is going to be plastered for everyone to see on all these front pages it's it's turned into something so ugly but what I hear um, or read about old school movie stars it was always as bad it's just this, this fantasy come up with I, I there's a podcast called you must remember this that i've listened to but about the first hundred years of hollywood and wow those 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 guys did not have a good time <laughs> and yet you seem to share every heartbreak you have with 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 the world yeah, i'm thinking i'm thinking of, yeah so that's an entirely different thing yeah you know yeah it's in your control yeah but that's something that i've had when i speak to writers and other people who aren't constantly in front of microphones and being interviewed, they're much more spontaneous. And when I speak to someone like a stand-up comic, they often have, well, I'm used to doing this complete. When I speak about this, I speak about it on completely my own terms. And so you're not going to bait me. They're so much more defensive. This weekend, I was at a big music festival, a solid sound festival that's at Mass Mocha. And it's it's Wilco puts together this festival, and I tend to go. It's every two years. And I tend to go, even though I'm not much of a Wilco fan, because friends tend to come to it from far and wide. And Wilco have good taste, and they book a lot of other things, and I have nothing against Wilco. I just have never. Why do you hate Wilco? <laughs> no, exactly. I'm going to get if, – if, if anyone listened to this podcast, I'd get trolls for this. Um, Wilco fans are pretty serious. Uh, but – so I went and I had a lovely weekend, but one person I did want to see, well, there were a few, there was Tortoise, um, which was great, but um, was Jonathan Richmond, who I haven't seen since I was a bartender at the makeout room back in the mission. And Jonathan would play for like seven days straight, once or twice a year for a few years. And some of those days, there were so many days that there were some days you could just like stroll in and walk, there would be like 15 people. And so to see him in front of thousands of people was fun. That's but awesome. in terms of the 
ability to be invisible out in the world, which sounds like both of us value a lot. Mm-hmm. After the show, there are thousands of people there and it's hot and they're walking around. I, I, my friend who knew him a little bit stopped him and we chatted with him for a minute. And then he wandered off and my friends left the festival and I went back in and I saw him online to get food from a vendor and I, I resisted. I feel like the, the podcast, I say I do this as therapy and I feel like I've learned things about leaving people alone too. There was this urge to say, hey, you want to be on a podcast or to go try to talk to him more. But instead, I just watched from a distance as he, nobody, nobody seemed to recognize him, even though he had just gotten off stage. And he, he got his food and he went and he went up on the hill with the other people and just sat down by himself and ate. And that's about the level of fame that I'd say is ideal. You can be perform in front of 5,000 people and then disappear. Yeah, I feel like different people would have, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if he wanted people to come up to him or if he didn't. It's, it certainly, for me, it depends on the situation and what I'm doing and we in general, I want to be bothered, but sometimes it's really nice to be recognized, uh, you know, because we all have these moments of why, why am I doing this? What's the point? And I mean, obviously, you want to be recognized in a positive way. So when someone sees you and says, I love your work, that, that's really nice uh, versus, oh, I see you or, oh, tries to take a picture of you when you're not looking great or or. I mean, the, the strangest time that I it was very, the first time I think I was recognized just out in public was I was doing, uh, selling raffle tickets for someone else's event. You know, I was just volunteering and my book, my first book hadn't been out. I'd been making comics for a long time. The first book had only been out for a few months at this point. And a woman comes up to me and she wasn't friendly and she <laughs> wanted to buy a raffle ticket and she said, you're Mari. And I, and so I'm wondering if I know her because I'm really bad at remembering people. And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I bought your book. And I'm like, thank you. And she's not yeah. smiling. <laughs> she's staring at me without kind of a fr- like a furrowed bat- brow on her face. And, and she says, I know a lot about you now. Uh-huh. And I said, thanks. And then she walked away. <laughs> That was your first experience of that. Yeah, yeah, being out in the wild. I mean, it's different when I, if I'm performing or doing a reading. I expect people to come up to me because people like to come up to performers. And, you know, that, that's actually a really nice time to have people come up to you. But, yeah, out in the wild is weird. Unless you're going to tell me that you love me or give me free food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess Jonathan must not have been averse to having anyone walk up to him or he would have stayed back in the craft services, you know, the green room. But he seemed perfectly happy by himself, and I I restrained myself. I also restrained myself because my friend Carrie left. I had to leave early, but got me, you know, got me, got my name on the list for the, uh, like, the after-party jam at this nearby hipster hotel. Oh, nice. And, And I just felt like I'd be too much of a hypocrite. Because I'm not, I mean, it would probably would have been a great concert, but uh, I just couldn't. I went home. Oh, really? Oh, I always go up to people if I see them and I love them. I always, I have no Yeah, I'm in at the Wilco after party, though. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice that I could get in, but I really don't, I don't, I didn't belong there. Well, as soon as I asked you to be on this, you directed me very quickly to, uh, 
heartthrobs strip you wrote for the rumpus back in the day about your Duran Duran experience. It's very appropriate for your theme. I kind of wonder if in the intervening years, so, so, well, do you want to give a quick synopsis of what that was? So I used to be uh, what was called a Durani when I was a, a preteen. I was very much in love with John Taylor of Duran Duran, and I followed their every move. I mean, basically all tw- all tweens are pretty much stalkers, and they're encouraged to be through like Tiger B and Teen B. Mm-hmm. So I was really into them. I knew a lot about their personal lives because they put a lot of things like that in those magazines. And then many years later in my 30s, I was randomly invited to a party that the band was throwing at someone's house uh, nearby me as they were recording. They were in town to record. And it was just very surreal to go in as a, you know, fully grown adult. And uh, but I, I had so much intimate information about these guys from the 80s. But now, you know, I, I wasn't really in a starstruck situation. But it was just so strange to see what 20 plus years of of celebrity will do to you yeah and how that'll change you how, how that, that'll make you interact with people around you uh i have another comment that i probably should have sent you also which was when i was dating a minor celebrity in san francisco <laughs> before you go on let me say that i i do edit these and if you say a name and you later don't want me to i can bleep it out <laughs> um but yeah i i've, I've definitely had situations where I ha- would have brushes with fame and it's never pleasant. Although I, I get excited when I see a famous person that I love, like I saw Bud Court in my neighborhood Gelson's <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I, that time I really fangirled out the first time I saw him, I didn't say anything to him, but I was just like, Oh my God, I was just filled with joy. And then uh, a few years later I saw him again and I went up to him and said, and I just started gushing because come on. Sure. I mean, it's one thing if you're Roger Taylor. Yeah. It's another thing if you're like, I don't know, a former child, you know, not, you know, not someone who gets it every day. I'm sure it'd be much more pleasant. Maybe I felt I I figured, you know, I just have this chance. I also did that to Salman Rushdie at the Brooklyn Book Festival a few years back. And I didn't care. I have no shame. I was just like, oh, my God, it's you. Well, how did they? How did they both respond? Very, very nice people, <laughs> both of them. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Bud Court was a little out of it. He was in his like a house coat and slippers. <laughs> uh, he see, he was just buying a giant cart of water, like many many bottles of water, and he seemed uh, kind of surprised. And a little, like, certainly, yeah, wasn't expecting it. Maybe he was tired or I don't know. Uh, but but when he spoke, his voice was like velvet and it just very swoon-worthy. A much, much older man, but yet he was like buttery velvet. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you told him that, though. No, no. <laughs> That's great. I just have to tell you this. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> so on the flip side, you told me about the, the first person. Oh, oh, the, oh, oh, the... wait, wait. I did. I forgot. I did tell him hello because we have a mutual friend. Uh, that, <laughs> so that, that always, that helps. Warmed him up a little. 
And that helps. So, whew, all right. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? I Well, one thing I was going to say as you were talking is the, the, the only time, it's not awkward. I've been in, in places where there are really famous people, but if I don't have something I feel I need to say to them, I'm very comfortable not saying anything. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Like, like I stood near Paul McCartney and watched people try to talk to him, but what am I going to say? I, Hey, I really grew up with a lot of your songs. I like them. Oh <laughs> my know? God. That's so funny. Just the other day, a friend was talking about being in his proximity as well and how just, he seemed to love the attention. Every, she said, everyone in that room wanted to fuck him. <laughs> well, that's the trick, right? And he's old. Um, that that's the trick is is to somehow be comfortable and to make other people at ease. And I've known friends with various levels of success and seen them handle it differently. The thing I fear that I would be is sometimes someone who you like, who's getting that attention or is out after a show and people are coming up to them. They'll be like, hey, you're like, hey, Jamie, I'm just running off here. I, I hope I'll see you later because it's obligatory to say it. And I don't want them to feel obliged to say it. I see that you're overwhelmed kind of thing. Uh, and yeah. that always makes, I, I, I don't ever want to be in their position. I feel like that most people would be forgiving. A lot of, as I mentioned before, like when, when I do a reading or something, as I'm leaving the stage, that's when people tend to talk to you the most, but that's also where you're overwhelmed and you're, you know, just trying to get off the stage or whatever. But I'm pretty forgiving about that. And, and I, cause it's nice, even though I'm probably, I'm not retaining it in the manner that I would if, if things were a lot calmer, like I'm still, I'm waiting for my adrenaline levels to go down and stuff like that. But, but I, I, I guess I'm compassionate cause I see it from both ends. Of course. I, I guess you have the coming off stage and then the, do you still woman a table when you have a new book <laughs> at, at cons? Um, so I, you know, I just did it the other day and I think I've decided that this is it for tabling after this year. I just, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I get out of it the same things that I used to get out of it, but I, hopefully I applied for comics arts LA in this December and that's probably the last one I'll do. It depends. Cause when people offer me a free table, it's really hard for me to say no. Cause I have a bunch of books sitting around. What is it that you think you used to get out of it that you don't need anymore besides sales? <laughs> well, I still need the sales. Um, right. I'm not saying you don't need sales, but maybe not as badly. I, I get, uh, and I think I, and now I need sales more because I just need to make more space because I have all these books. Uh, but I think, I think I wanted to meet people and connect and I don't want to say network cause that's a really disgusting word to me, but I, I just, you know, wanted to feel included in a community and get myself out there. But I feel like I'm more effective doing that in other ways. And also I'm kind of done meeting new people. People. I mean, I'm open to meeting new people, but I, I, I don't feel like that's something I need in my life because I haven't, I have enough friends. <laughs> I really like that. I mean, you know, I just, I don't have a lot of extra room in my emotional life for more people. 
And I feel like I I, I kind of built my own community through some databases and other things. Like I've I've done a lot of community work that I feel is a lot more effective than sitting at a table and, you know, hoping one or two people come along and talk to me. I I just listened to you talking about the databases uh, at a talk you gave at a conference. Oh, the XOXO one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that that was good. You got very emotional. Yeah, yeah. I I really didn't want to do that talk. When they asked me to, I said no initially uh, because it does make me very emotional. But then they just kept throwing money at me. So eventually. Yeah. Could I ask you again to to tell listeners what these databases are that I'm. Uh, So they're the cartoonists of color and the queer cartoonist database. And now I have the disabled cartoonist database, which isn't fully up. I didn't but know about I, that one. No. I just soft launched it. There's less than a dozen people on that one, but uh, together in the other databases, there's thousands at this point. And the whole point was to, for when people say, "Oh, there's no cartoonists of color; it's all white people," to have have some kind of proof that they're wrong. And uh, I I certainly didn't expect the databases to mm-hmm. have quite so many people in them because I didn't realize there were so many of us out there. Just listening to you give that talk made me think of something that made me feel idiotic for not having thought of it before. And that is kind of how my topic of fame relates to uh, groups of people, gender, race, whatever, wanting to be seen mm. as groups. And as you know, it's, it's like, it's like, I don't know, just so much is about wanting to be seen <laughs> to being a human being. Yeah, I mean, to, to be seen, to communicate. Mm-hmm. And heard, yeah, and acknowledged, yeah. And to connect. I mean, I even though I say I have enough people in my life and I don't necessarily want to talk to a lot of new people, that, that is actually one thing about tabling at those things. Nowadays, there's enough people. It used to be about me wanting to get my work out there, and now those tabling things are more about, well, my work's already out there, and so people come and visit me and talk to me about my work or you know, say that it affected them or want to share their work with me. And so there is a, a bit of connection in there that is really pleasant that didn't used to exist when I was a lot more, a lot less well-known. Well, kind of in the same vein, but online, what purpose besides promotion do you feel Twitter has for you? Cause you are a fairly active Twitter user. I just love it. I really enjoy it. I, uh, I I have friends who really hate it, and I understand. And when I was first told that I should be doing this, it, it was kind of agonizing. But once I got figured out how to basically curate my Twitter feed and, and just enjoy myself, it, in, in some ways, so I, so I have, I'm on all sorts of social media because I have to be, I mean, because my agent wants me to be. Uh, and so I, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and I have a personal Instagram and personal Facebook and whatever. Uh, but I feel like Twitter is the place where I put all that stuff together. <clears throat> and for, for example, for my professional Instagram, I, I, it's pretty much just my best work as I'm doing it. Um, really on uh, Facebook, it's more personal photos. And then I have other other uh, Instagrams and Facebooks where I have pictures of my animals or the butterflies I'm raising. And yeah, 
like on Twitter, I could just throw it all out there and, and just connect with so many different kinds of groups of people. So that's really, but I, but also I, I really like the challenge of saying something interesting in 280 characters or less. Yeah. I like it too. I haven't gotten that good at it yet. It's, it's, I mean, it's something that I feel like I have a lot of practice in because I used to do a lot of writing for video games where you're supposed to very limited amount of space. And sometimes you would have to get a lot of information in, into that limited amount of space. So I've already pretty practiced with that. I've been doing that since the nineties and, but to do that for my own purposes and to try to say something funny and succinct and, and, uh, and meaningful, it's, it's, it's a super fun challenge. Cool. I, I agree, but it's very frustrating. <laughs> it, it, it's frustrating that there's a huge gap between being at all visible and being invisible on Twitter. And I, it's just hard to explain. And I do feel like that people with the blue check marks don't see things that aren't from, I feel like there's something going on that people have hinted to me about where you just don't even, you know, and I, I just, yeah, almost nothing I do gets even dislike, let alone, let alone a little heart click. Interesting. Well, yeah. I have a blue mark, but yeah. I see. Well, so I do know, I know some people who have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and they don't actually see anything from anyone who's not their friend. Like you can, you can turn that off. And I understand because I think I follow, well, recently I, I started cutting down my Twitter who I follow because it's just overwhelming and I miss a lot. But all at, at the same time, I don't want to put a, notifications on because I can't have my phone blowing up on me all the time. So I'm really trying to pare down. So I don't miss important things uh, from specifically people I know in real life. Yeah. Uh, and like I'm kind of cutting down people to people I know in real life. However, there's some people that I just really enjoy like seeing. Oh, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to do that, but also right at this point, it's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I, I've, I cap the number of people I follow at six, 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 just to be, <laughs> uh, and if it gets over that, I always, I, I, I go through and call. Um, I, I started doing phone notifications for a while, but it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. It's too much. As someone on Twitter and, you know, uh, you know, I, I, you read a lot about, especially women dealing with trolls, uh, and, and that, oh, who was the woman who had that great, um, radio piece about actually speaking to her troll? And, and, oh, uh, Lindsay West. Uh, what a great, that, that's so great. But Lindy, Lindy. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah. Lindy was. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of what you do is very vulnerable and intimate. Like, you know, especially if you think about kiss and tell, <laughs> I would think would draw out some really dubious characters. But uh, most most people don't know I exist. That's nice. Honestly, the trolls come out after so I like to I like to have a successful tweet, and what I consider a successful tweet is like maybe up to a hundred likes. Uh, obviously sometimes when I'm trying to promote something like the databases, I hope for a lot more than that. But generally speaking, if I get over, if I get over a hundred re retweets, then people start noticing I exist. And then people just start her like haranguing me out of nowhere. And these are people who don't read my work. 
I would love it if they all go out and buy Kiss and Tell and then trolled me. That would be wonderful because I'd be making money. But no, these guys are just, oh, I see there's a woman speaking on Twitter and she's getting a lot of attention. Let's go attack. So, so I never want a tweet to get too viral. There's a soft, like a sweet spot. Yeah. One guest, I had one guest on who I only know from her, her, from Twitter and who I followed and who I, I, I don't see much on there anymore. And I'm blanking on her name, but I followed her after a tweet of hers got like international attention. And she was interviewed by the, by the London times and on CNN. Oh my and God. She talks about how she limits her Twitter. Uh, like if, if she starts to get too much attention, she'll only post stuff about really obscure video games. She's watching and playing and her cat. <laughs> um, until people start to go away. Lately, you've been posting, changing the topic to anything else for a little while, uh, from your new memoir, and you posted this animation of you actually writing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and so tell me, tell me what that is, and is that going to be part of the end product? At this point, so that was just a work in progress. Uh, from So on the iPad... When you're using Procreate, which is a terribly named program, uh, but it's the drawing program that comes with iPad. Or it doesn't come with, but it's it's a free drawing program for the iPad. And you can turn on this feature where it records you doing your work. And it's it's not real time because it's, you know, just basically showing you what you're doing. But I thought it was fun to just post a little work in progress. But the pages that I posted, so it was, it was actually a number of pages that turned into one video, and I don't think the book even looks like that anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it was, it seems so obvious, but I'd never seen anything quite like it to watch the writing process because it had you erasing when you didn't like what you'd written and, and going back and changing. And that was, I, I wish I could show writing students of mine that, yeah, that, oh, that's yeah, that, really great. I thought it was really fun. I, I, I worry that it, it, the work in progress video is going to be more dynamic and interesting than the final product, but we'll see. <laughs> what is the final product going to be? You, I know you have a children's trilogy or a teen or it's, it's young adult trilogy. The final book comes out next year. The, the so this, the video was a, a memoir that I've been working on for a few years now. And now that I'm done uh, drawing out the, trilogy which was my de big deadline now i'm sort of working on these other two books that i put down in order to finish the young adult books and so that 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 one in particular is a kind of a collage memoir uh we haven't started looking for a published we as in me and my age not started pitching to publishers yet because i don't really know what the final product is going to look like and i don't i kind of don't want to worry about other people while I'm sort of brainstorming this thing, mm -hmm, but it's, yeah. it's pretty weird and no one's ever done anything quite like it, which means it's going to be really difficult to sell. Mm -hmm. Is there any, <laughs> you're, you're being very intentionally, uh, is there anything, a time in your life, uh, a, a general subject matter that you can? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's called, I, I'm happy to talk oh, okay. about it. I thought you were just trying to keep it under, you know, no, no, I just don't want to bore you. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, it's a, it's actually the young adult trilogy was fiction. It was my first published fiction, and it was based on 
or inspired by a real life event, which was a friend of mine for who we were friends in high school. And then for many, many years, she suddenly left my life and I didn't find out why until about 10 years later. And then short and then another five or 10 years later, I found out the real, real reason why and basically she completely betrayed me, but throughout the 20 years or whatever, I had thought that it was my fault that I had done something wrong. And so I'd been kicking myself and blaming myself for decades. And so it was more, I, I, I generally don't like writing well, public writing as a form of catharsis. I, I don't generally like reading it. I don't like doing it. However, I've made an exception in this case because I was having such a hard time forgiving her or even getting past it that I felt like I needed to do something. I mean, I guess I could have gone to therapy, but (laughs) a book at the end. (laughs) Is this people from, I thought you hated me. Uh, Well, so this one is called, I thought you loved me as a play. And it's a different person. This, uh, this woman, she was my first kid, a woman kiss, a girl kiss, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, she, we were very, very close. She was my best friend for a number of years. It was, um, it was pretty traumatic to lose her. And I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it, no, no. it, it gets yeah. pretty interesting. Uh, but, I'll, but it starts off as me being ready to finally move on and realizing that these, however long we were friends, these very formative, like maybe 15 or 16 years that we've been friends have pretty much been wiped out of my brain. And I would remember certain things about her, but 15 years of memories, like I, my brain just was like, no, cause, cause I knew what had actually happened. So I did, kind of didn't want to remember any of the good stuff or even the bad stuff. It was, it was very strange. So it sort of start, the book started becoming a memoir about the unreliability of memory And what I did was I went through all my diaries from that time, the time that I knew her and wrote down every single time that she appeared, uh, found all the letters that she'd sent me and just basically was trying to kickstart my brain and remember things. And, And so it's sort of you're you're as the reader, you're following me along as I'm realizing certain things. And uh, and coming to terms with certain things, because not only did I forget her, I forgot some other pretty I, mean, I didn't forget her, obviously, but I kind of erased her from my brain. But apparently a lot of other things got erased as well. And once I remembered them, it just it, it's sort of like a puzzle fitting the pieces together. I have a whole lot of those and I uh, and I have a terrible memory. And luckily, I have one best friend who can he can start. A st- I don't remember like narrative memory of events. And he'll start me. He'll say, remember that time we did this? And I'll be like, no. And he'll start. And then I can start to continue the details. But, but until then, I hadn't remembered a thing. Yeah, that, so that's, that's exactly what, what the book is like, where I'm just trying to spark my brain, look at pictures and you know, figure things out from that. But that's the great thing about having old friends. And that was another thing about not having her in my life again was we couldn't do that with each other. So, and this is an adult book. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it sounds great. And you, oh, you, you don't know when it's coming out because you haven't even no. pitched it. I thought it would take a few. I wasn't sure how it was going to end, and I'm not 100% sure still. 
Uh, but I have an idea, a better idea, but I thought it would take me a few more years, but it looks like I'm actually going to finish it fairly soon, like in the next, within this year. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> and I'm, I have a feeling it's even, either the best thing I've ever done or it's the worst thing I've ever done, but either way, I'm excited. <laughs> and that's such a valuable, I, I was listening to your podcast recently and you were reading listeners, the listeners letters, uh, uh, or emails. And some, I assume, younger person had written in saying, you know, I had a bad time at this convention. I want to quit. <laughs> and you're you're telling me, you and know, here you are talking to me about a book that's, yeah, three or four or five years to make. Um, that's life, kid. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much what you two said. You you said it more, very gently, but you were like, get over it. If you want to do this, keep doing it. I mean, that's the thing, if, especially in the arts. If you don't want to do it, then don't do it. There's there's no reason to do it unless you really, really want to. You're not going to get rich. Your your fame is going to be limited to a very select group of people if you're doing comics or podcasting or whatever. Like You, you have to really love it. And there's so many other things that you can do if you don't. Yeah, you have to love it or need it. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I've spent the last decade away from most of my adult life calling myself a writer and just despising writing. You know, I love editing what I've written and I love getting, you know, wow. something, but I, I love editing. I it's one it. of the things I like most about podcasting is it's like editing text, but it's editing these things. I can spend hours. I don't know why. Wow. You know, you need to collaborate with someone like me who <laughs> loves to write and just hates editing. I feel like I've spent my whole life waiting to find that perfect collaborative partner. And, you know. So, fame, I think we got off the tangent a little. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any, what I usually start off is asking, like, when I asked you to, if you wanted to be on this and you said yes, were there thoughts that immediately came to mind about the topic? Well, that's just a long time ago that we talked about it. It's been a few months, so I, I kind of forgot what was on my mind other than, I have a lot to say about this subject. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all it comes down to. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, this other person that when I dated the minor celebrity, this, this is a story I did for an anthology. It's not anywhere um, other than this anthology where it's basically this guy was a local. All right. That narrows it down. <laughs> it was a man and he was very locally famous for his community work and just he's a very great poet. And before I dated him, I actually knew and was a fan of his work. So it's the only time I've dated someone who I was a fan of. And you know, it was fine. Like we, I mean, we didn't ultimately stay together, but we were, I think it was a few months and, and we're very friendly now still. And, and it was mostly a, a fun experience, but there was a, everywhere we went, he was constantly recognized. Is this in the mission? It well, it was all over San Francisco. All over San Francisco, that's great. Yeah, I, so I want to be able to visualize it. Yeah, you know, we so and it makes sense. So maybe one of our first dates was at an art show, and everyone's coming up to him, and everyone's coming up to him, and talking to him, and uh, and it, he was really nice about it. He was very humble, and he would introduce me, and they didn't give a shit about me there. I'm just like. <laughs> And half of the time it was these gorgeous girls who were all over him. And, you know, we're just dating. It wasn't a big deal, but it was kind of annoying. You know, you're trying to have a conversation with someone and then just, you know, one after another, after another, people, people are mobbing him. 
And so after a couple of these dates, I said, you know what? Can we just not go in public and just get to know each other, you know, in a more intimate setting? And he said, sure. And so we went and saw a movie and it was in, at some odd hour where there was barely any people there. And after the, and that was fine. We watched the movie and afterwards we're talking and some, there are like two people in the front row and they, and they're like, wait, is that you? And they, and they totally recognized him. And suddenly it was happening again where the only two people in, in the theater were, you know, recognized him and were talking to us. And so that was pretty funny. Uh, and then uh, after we broke up, um, he was escorting a worldwide celebrity around uh, a comedian and I think we were having a chat or a phone call about it where he was thinking, Oh my God, this was horrible. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Like people kept like just mm-hmm. us everywhere. Or she's like, I never want to be famous. <laughs> of course, I'm really trying to figure out who it is, but I'll just, I'll, I'll yeah. yeah. and Getty is way too old. not met him but i've sat in his desk chair a couple of times for for videos of me sometimes city lights does they would have local authors come and read from like a banned book or something and then sitting in berlinghetti's chair so it's like an asp imprint it's like we know each other i <laughs> we i were practically dating i do feel that way about certain people but i would i wouldn't want them to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the other, the other, uh, the other standard question I ask is, is, are there any people who have people who you've, uh, admired or, or looked up to who have appreciated your work and it meant something who are a big deal or are there people who are fantasy people who you'd love to get like a tweet from, there are so many people who've inspired me over the years. And, and I feel like that's one really fun thing about being a writer or being a public figure or whatever is when someone that you already admire becomes a fan of your work. That's, that's, that's probably my favorite thing because it feels so full circle. Uh, but when I first published my, when I f- published my first book, I was so excited to finally be a published author that I would send the book to everyone I admired, basically. So they were forced to <laughs> to contend with me. Uh, so, so there there have been a number of people, but you know, I sort of made that happen, and I'm happy with that. Cheryl Strait, big one. Yeah, that'd be great. She was supposed to be at the festival this weekend, and she was she, she had to call in sick. I, I never found out why. Oh, that's too bad. She's, be, She's super nice. Yeah, seems I, like it. But I very fangirl around her. Yeah, I know. I know the column. I've never read anything but um, um, the uh, the book from the column. Um, the tiny beautiful things. Yeah, so, yeah, that's my favorite. I I love her writing her books as well. But I think that's what is closest to my heart is her dear sugar column. It's fun to meet your heroes and for them not to be jerks. I was just telling someone the other day at that uh, when I was tabling, who seemed very upset by this, but I, 
I don't intend to do comics forever. <laughs> huh. I, that's what I was going to ask. I like I, because I love seeing what you do. I imagine you just want to do it forever. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, feel like I have been doing it forever. <laughs> it's been over twenty years, and I, but I feel like I also enjoy doing other things, and comics are just they just happen to be the thing that took off. But I miss being a fine arts painter type person. I, I miss just writing and, 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 and other things. I, I intend to be creative forever, but comics is such a time suck. The idea, especially in terms of like success and acclaim and fame and making a living, you, these, these, these incredible books, they come out and then they're gone. You know, the, you, you make this thing this beautiful thing and, and a few people, you know, or a few thousand or a few tens of thousands of people read it and then on to the next one, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, well, I think that when I was finishing the last book uh, in the YA series, that's when I realized I never want to have a deadline again because it, 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 even though I, I think it's probably a good book, but I just, I just started hating the process of drawing. My hand hurt. I was putting my hand on ice every night. Uh, I was having a lot of physical problems as a result of doing all the drawing. And it just, the joy was lost. Now that I'm do, doing a more meandering kind of non-deadline bookmaking, I'm enjoying it a lot more. But I feel like there are other things that I could do that perhaps might have more of a widespread impact, um, but not take me 10 years to do and let me qualify what i said i mean people are discovering kiss and tell now i'm sure i did uh which of the books has the most lasting uh of the adult books do people still ask most about i it it totally depends on the person i was hoping i mean that so the ya series is having an impact that's kind of invisible to me because most of the people who are reading them are not on the same platforms as I am, but it's selling the best. Yeah, I have to look at those. You, you sent me all the adult books, which I, I fair to assume that that's what uh, I, yeah. 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 The, the young adult ones I, I think are basically all the things that I've learned over the last 20 something years, I'm pouring into these young adult books and I'm, and I'm definitely doing something that's never been done before. I've, I've like I, I'm putting everything into these young adult books, which I think are, I, I'm really proud of them, but the ones that, so I don't, but I actually don't hear a lot of feedback about them because I don't know any kids. Uh, everyone I know is over 35. <laughs> and yeah. What's the name of the trilogy? It's called life, the life on earth trilogy. Uh, and in a nutshell, the it's, it's a teen drama, which is, Kind of, it, it's pretty reminiscent of Kiss and Tell, I would think, but, but we don't ever exit the teens. And the conceit behind the series is that uh, each section, each chapter is told from a different point of view and drawn in a different style based on that point of view. So if a character sees himself as like a really stylish guy, and uh, when, when you read his chapter, he's a really stylish guy. And then maybe the next chapter is a woman, like a girl who's not that impressed with him. And so he's really not so attractive or stylish from her point of view. And 
it, which I think it's it's so obvious of a thing, like a, a, a use of the comics medium, but it's never been done before. So, and I've been working on it since I think 2008 or 2009, the first book. Do you mean the writing from and different I, perspectives in different sections? Yeah, just working on the thing. I mean, I had to put it down a number of times, but the uh, the whole time until when it, the first book came out a, a couple years ago, I was terrified that someone else was going to do it because it's such an obvious thing to do, but no one ever did it. So, yay. me. <laughs> but so as far as what resonates with people, I feel like if they're mixed race, turning Japanese really resonates. People who, uh, I feel like men who are about 10 years or more older than me really like kiss and tell, especially ones who grew up in, uh, who were former punk rockers or was part, part of the scene. Oh my God. I feel so pigeonholed right now. Oh no! <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yes. And I, yes. It's so funny because I couldn't figure out why it was really clicking with this demographic. And, and for a while I was touring with that book and I, and I would talk about, you know, people would say, who does this resonate with? And I thought it would be women younger than me. And, and that does sometimes happen, but predominantly it was these older guys, like the kind of guys that I would have probably dated when I was, you know, younger in San Francisco. And what, finally I was at, it was a library reading, I think in Olympia. And I mentioned this during the Q and a, and afterwards a bunch of guys came up to me and said, well, let me tell you why this resonated with me, which was, such a gift. I was so happy with this. And for these guys, these guys specifically, it was because they, you know, I was kind of the, what's the word? Is cipher the right word? Basically a stand in for the, the gals that they were maybe interested in, in the eighties, but they never knew what was going through their heads. And so it was kind of a peek into their brains of like, Oh, here's these mysterious girls or women that they were interested in who they finally can explain that's i'm really blushing right now but i and even more so because i haven't been introspective at all it's just the book that resonated with me the most by far but part of it was i thought oh it was in the bay area and but it was people yeah i, I related and i figured out that there were i i'm i'm 54 and i, I think i'm about 10 years older than you you are yep. just under. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I could tell from the context. But yeah, well, maybe I liked it for other reasons. <laughs> no, no, but no, yeah, that's really funny. I love it, though, because I mean, that's the whole point of reading books, in, in, in my opinion, is to get into the brains of people who aren't you. And so basically, I feel like when, when I when I was told this, I thought, wow, I, I did what I'm supposed to do as a writer. Yeah, absolutely. And that was really exciting absolutely. for me. I, I've, published one piece in my life uh that i've published more than one thing in my life but one thing in my life that really resonated with people and it wasn't who i thought it would uh and i'll i'll send it to you it's an essay called peep show um, who did it resonate with and who did you think it would resonate with or vice or the other way around okay uh, it's more like i wanted it to resonate when i when I, boy, this is this is going to sound like therapy in a second. But I think one of the reasons I don't write much anymore is because uh, I haven't written in about 10 years. And my mother died about 10 years ago. And she was always my first audience. And I wrote this piece called Peep Show that was about my mother's 
70s feminism and my, of course, corresponding fascination with, you know, porn and peep shows and strippers for the rest of my life, while while having the ethics that my mother raised me with at the same time. Um, and I wanted, of course, it, in my my fantasy is that it would resonate with women, and but it resonated a lot with men who'd never been able to talk about that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, and it's great. It was great, but it, it wasn't who I imagined. But it's the obvious audience who who would have related to it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'll send it to you. You moved to the capital of fame, um, and I I've always felt that to not be in the industry and to live in LA would be really uh, I don't know. I get to be pretty smug. <laughs> you get to be. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Are you though? Well, it's it's kind of funny because I don't. So I went many, 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 many years without watching television, uh, from I think two thousand until I moved here. So six years ago. So that's that's quite a lot of t uh, pop culture I missed out on. Uh, and I did watch uh, DVDs of a few shows like The Office and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Though, so there's I was watching some things, but I pretty much don't recognize celebrities oh. ever unless they were from the, the couple shows I watched on DVD or from the nineties or the eighties. But the, so I, it's funny because the first month I was here, I pretty much on several occasions going to CVS, going to, a deli, whatever. I saw pr almost the whole cast of The Office mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as living here. And I thought, gosh, I must just be constantly surrounded by celebrity celebrities because, and also Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was another show I watched. And I just keep seeing these people around. They just must be everywhere, but I don't know. And do you watch any now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm trying to catch up because, well, now that I live here, I know so many people in the industry that I want to be supportive. And so that's how it started. So I got Netflix. Tell me who, who who's a famous person that you would like to meet. Well, yeah, I talked earlier about not being intimidated by super famous people who I don't have anything to say to. Uh, Elvis Costello. Um, in terms of dream guests. But I'd be just gushing. It would be just dumb. I saw him at sushi in San Francisco once. But um, let me see if I can answer that. I don't have a, a like a Duran Duran answer off the top of my head. They wouldn't have been my choice, I don't think. Unfortunately, all the people that I really want to meet are dying off. So David Bowie's gone and Kurt Vonnegut left a long time ago. I did my first job out of college was working for Grove Press and I got to send a dress and send books to, to Sam Beckett in Paris. And that, that was, that was, that was enough. Uh, yeah. And, and other, other artists would, would call, you know, other writers would call on the phone and I'd direct their call. Uh, <laughs> and that was great. But I think I'm less starstruck than I ever was until just maybe the last 10 years. There's no like, oh, I really want to meet. I also have, have had the opportunity because of friends who are pretty successful to be in the proximity and realize I don't really want to meet the person. I just love their art. That is actually a big thing. I get nervous when I meet people that I admire because they're not always so great. Yeah. It's really 
they are. Like Armistead Maupin is so amazing, but I, he's so sweet, but thank goodness. <laughs> right. And when they aren't, you don't, I don't even want to blame them for it. It's like they were built to write those books. They don't have to be people, people. I mean, I'm good at being around people. <laughs> That's why I don't write books because I'm around people a lot of the time. <laughs> it is disappointing that when you meet someone and they're just kind of, kind of, I mean, yeah, everyone has an off day, but it does still kind of taint how you listen to their music or, or whatever, especially if they're creepy. If they're creepy, then I just can't even listen to them. Yeah, music absolutely. Again. I'm saying that's why I might, it, it, I don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably best that I didn't meet Kurt Vonnegut. Hmm. No, it's not. Ah, it is he? Is he on the top of your list? You, him and David Bowie. Oh, Bowie, yeah. yeah. Um, my wife was in retail in the city, and Bowie came in, and they spoke, and she, she met him. I mean, I think she had to climb up a ladder and get him something. She'll have to remind me of that. I would climb ladders for you, yeah, Bowie. Yeah, she would, too. Yeah, and she's not starstruck, struck, starstruck by anyone, but she was bit by him. I mean, David Bowie. Yeah. yeah. They are dying off. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you know, first it's, first it's our heroes, and then it's us. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that, on that Yeah, note. <laughs> I was just going to say on that note, on that cheery note. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Hey, I would have liked to uh, meet William Burroughs. That would have been I. Cool was at a couple of different I worked for Grove Press and he was an author and I was I I I remember him being in a room and hearing his voice his kind of wrinkled up voice and I remember oh. being at a party and he was in a stairwell kind of crimp crumpled up into a like a window or a stairway and walking by and being like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god yeah, I feel like I I've it. kind of I, I have had a little bit of a zelegy life. I've been the fly on the wall with a lot of like in that era. I, uh, Allen Ginsberg came to the office. I walked down the street with Kathy Acker once. Uh, there are all these I've been next to a lot of famous people. Um, <laughs> uh, when you mentioned Flight of the Concords, a friend of mine, I was in the green room once and with them and watched them have a a special meet and greet that people had paid extra money for. And it made me, there's so many things that have cured me of my desire to meet famous people. This podcast being one of them, but also seeing, Oh, if I had had the money, would I've paid for that? And how awkward is that? It's like, you're paying. It's like, it's like, it's like a weird kind of prostitution that they're doing. Here's it here for an extra thousand dollars. We'll have a conversation. You know, I would pay for money for for that, depending on the situation, I think. I mean, if I had the money. <laughs> There's because Well, I'm getting to the point where, I, although I love live music, concerts kind of drive me crazy. And there was some, but I think it was OMD, was about to be in town. And love I, I <laughs> was curious. I was like, oh, maybe I'd go see OMD. I think they were opening for the B-52s. And I... And the thought of going and waiting in lines or doing a parking, like it just doesn't appeal to me and all those people, like people smell, you know, <laughs> but, 
But I noticed that there was a VIP option and it was a few hundred dollars. I'm like, well, you know, it's, I go to maybe one concert a year. Maybe I could do that. And I, and I was like, well, do I get to meet the van? And I looked and it did not include meeting the van. I'm like, eh, fuck it. No, I'm not going. That was just to have extra parking and like nice seats. <laughs> yeah. I don't go much. And I didn't like go to many of the outdoor shows this weekend at the festival. But I really, I became spoiled by friends and bands. Like if someone can get me, if I can watch backstage, that's way better. <laughs> All right. From, from the, from the wings. Yeah. Like how, like an intimate venue. Like that's, that's always my favorite when there's like a couple, like maybe a hundred people. I was at a party in Los Angeles. And I, I think this is, this is the true magic of Los Angeles and, and having so many celebrities here. Look, I'm, tr- I'm putting it full circle here. I was nice, at a, a party. <laughs> Uh, this woman that I mostly know through online, but I met her once uh, years ago and she, she has a lot of rock stars in her life, but so she had her uh, 50th birthday party here like a couple weeks ago. And it was, it was pretty intimate because she doesn't live here. She lives on the East coast. And uh, one of the guests was, um, Oh, what's his name? Who's the guy in Jean loves Jezebel and uh, Jay, I think his name was. And, she he came over and as a favor just did a little uh, little concert songs for us. He just had his little amp and his his guitar and there were maybe a dozen of us and it was so magical just to hear him right there and not be in a crowd of people and it wasn't creepy. It was just his voice was amazing too. And I feel like that's that's my favorite celebrity kind yeah, of interaction. I live for those moments. Yeah, and I cherish the people who I got to see when they were tiny and yeah, those are, those are really special and you know, yeah. <laughs> well, may we continue to have those moments. His, his celebrities didn't sound very appealing either. Uh, in that, you know, we, we chatted a bit and, and I was like, Oh, where do you live? And uh, he didn't really, he's, he's more nomadic cause he's just touring all the time. And it just super made me happy that I never pursued a life of rock stardom. Not like I could. I have a horrible voice singing. But I was glad that all my teenage fantasies did not come true in that regard. Because how horrible to be in your 50s and to be sleeping out of a car all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There are people who still always live for it. I I think of this in terms of comedians and rock stars. I, I talked to Robin Hitchcock recently for this. And, oh my god, I love Rod. Uh, I would get all standing uh, around him. You, you would, because in real life, he's he's very he's very charming. And Robin, he's he's yeah. Uh, but he's friends of friends, so I've got to watch that too. And what? Oh yeah, yeah. he cannot be as eccentric as I want him to be, though. I'm sure. <laughs> he might approach it, though. I really? think you would think so. Yeah, he's an oh, odd, he's I mean, a wonderfully odd pretty- duck. Oh, someday, Robin, you and me. You can you can make that happen. <laughs> a friend of mine just uh, as I was preparing to do to 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 talk to him for this, I got you know, I collected stories from friends, and a friend of mine did write him an email out of the blue, and he wrote back and uh, agreed to make up. Uh, my friend Sonny Smith, San Francisco person. I know a different Sonny. <laughs> uh, so you never know. Next time he's coming to town. <laughs> Well, if he's listening to this podcast, 
let him know there's a cartoonist out there who would like to meet well, him. Well, I, I would love to think he is, <laughs> but I really doubt it, but I will. Oh, you never know who's listening. That's the weird thing about having a podcast. You just never know. That's the hard thing about it. Is it? Yeah, I stopped looking at stats a long time ago. I, I just, I got too, I was like, how can I talk to David Sedaris and have him tell dirty jokes for an hour and like not get 50,000 people to listen to that? Um, <laughs> oh, promotions. Yeah. I'm getting better at it. over the, slow, And I'm caring less about it. That's two, two essential parts of enjoying doing this. That's, that's yeah. good. Well, it has been great to talk to you and I hope. Yes. Do it again. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, when the memoir is coming out, I don't want to wait for book 12. When that next book's coming out, I'll bug you to do it again. Okay, good. <laughs> By then, I'll have some Robin Hitchcock stories, maybe. Oh, I'm sure. Thanks. Take care, Mark. Bye. Okay, that was the false ending, and here's our second phone call, much shorter than the first. Hello. Hello, Mari. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm all right. How are you? I'm good, and I think we're fine now. Yay. Um, so what I wanted to do is ask you the, the last little follow-up Famy stuff. It just occurred to me that when we talked about your, uh, how are you? Let me say hello first. <laughs> I'm not ready to just dive in and interview. Uh, I, you know, I just got off a friend, uh, off a phone call with a depressed friend in, in, with the intention of cheering him up and he cheered me up. That's nice. So that was nice. I, I didn't even realize I needed to be cheered up. So <laughs> That's, that's pretty good. That's very good. That's very good. I just kind of, I just came home from a, an exercise class and I realized I haven't talked in a couple hours. So I needed to get my brain into um, communication mode. And also my voice is a little weird. Um, but when we talked about at one point, uh, the one thing I, I we, we just kind of got to chatting when we talked about the, the your tweet about, fame versus what fame gets you and what it doesn't and it gets you trolls but nothing else and then, <laughs> i mean it gets you other things right right and I, I kind of glossed by that and then later on you talked about how at some point you want to stop writing graphic novels you know you want to move on to something else you, you were talking about just maybe painting or just maybe writing and it made me think that you were very comfortable with the idea of kind of, okay, I might not have that audience of mine anymore. And so I, I tend to ask people about how it feels to have an audience. How important is it to them and how much is too much and how much ambition they, they, you know, they still have or whether they've reached a sweet spot and letting go of it. I feel like I'm still pretty, I, I, I feel confident that, I, I don't know that I could take my audience with me, but I feel confident that I could build up a new one because I've done it before. Uh, specifically, I used to do uh, a lot of painting, and that's how I kind of made my living, that and other side gigs. And uh, that was an entirely different audience than what I have now, and I kind of let that go. And so I, so I already know how to do it. It'll obviously be hard work. 
Yeah. But I'm not, I, I kind of enjoy the challenge. <laughs> and money aside, if it were just not a matter of making your living, the, the question that always crops up in my mind is how many people is enough people to, to appreciate your work? I think uh, a handful. A handful. That's interesting because when I, different professions have different thoughts on that. Um, some say a handful or I make my work and I'll always make my work. And when I, there are certain professions where their work is so audience based, like comics, stand up comics. Mm, yeah, that no, that's rough. <laughs> they don't even understand the question. They feel like they've fallen into the one thing that wouldn't make them miserable in life and still makes them miserable a lot of the time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I ask them and they're, and they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, so it, it's hard to to pin down, and it's also when one has spent a life not really, you know, most people listening to a podcast don't have an audience. Mm -hmm. They have their lives and their friends and their family, and they might write or they might paint or they might journal or they might play, you know, play songs. So it's hard to reckon with when you haven't been there at all. Honestly, though, I think with the with the rise of or the whatever you call it, long ago, long time ago, rise of social media, I think a lot of people are used to having a, an audience. Because I talk to people who don't do creative things, who are very concerned about how many likes they get on their Facebook posts. So true. But they don't. When you think about it, for example, when I get comments from people I don't know it could be nice it's slightly validating but I don't know them mm -hmm. and they could have terrible tastes yes and so maybe they're complimenting <laughs> yeah. me and they have terrible tastes where I really care about what my husband thinks of what I do in fact he's the only I, I show him everything I do as soon as I do it he's always the first pair of eyes on it and he's my most important audience, but sometimes I'll have a specific audience in mind when I, when I make something like I'll try to make a friend laugh or I want my mother-in-law to laugh. So I'll just send it to them. But, but beyond like my small tribe of close friends and maybe colleagues, sometimes the, the positive attention is, is better than negative attention, but it, I don't know that I need it. I, although I really, I really like having a book, like having holding thing books in my hand. And when a book comes out, so long as those people and, and a few people are caring about it are things like reviews and sales and people asking you to come read. Not that important. I like reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I like good reviews. The thing is a book comes out and, and, you can hear crickets like that. I, I have a bunch of books out and, and the only feedback I have are either reviews or good reads or uh, I guess those are technically reviews ish or people who come up to me and tell me or email me and say that they like it. But that that's pretty rare. I don't get a lot of, feedback from a book. So basically the best part of having a book is holding it in your hand <laughs> right, right when it comes in, as far as I'm concerned. 
being invited to things is, is nice, but that's just because that's how I make my living. So the more times I get invited to things to the less work I'm going to have to do elsewhere to make a living so I could keep writing the books. Sounds like you have a very healthy relationship to it. Well, it took me a long time to get here. <laughs> I've definitely cared th about things. There are a lot of things about a lot of reactions I've had in the past that I've trained myself not to have. And I think one was a huge fear of rejection, which I don't really have that anymore. Of course, it still sucks when I get a bad review or, or whatever, but, uh, but it's not anxiety producing like it used to be. And another big one is feeling jealousy, which mm. I used to feel a lot, you know, when, when someone, you know, has some great success you take it personally. I haven't done that in years, which thank God, because that was the thing I hated most about myself. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, uh, but it takes a long time to get out of that bad behavior because it's so human, mm -hmm. but it's not good for you. So that, that answers those. Um, uh, I wish I could kind of absorb some of that. It's, it's kind of, I feel like that those things are inclined. They're like, you're in. Like, I want this, I want that, you know what I mean? And sometimes I see people online being upset by what they don't have when they are clearly privileged uh, or lucky or, you know, whatever you call it. And I, you know, I think that bothers some people. I, I, I feel bad for them because I empathize. I've been there. Some people need to be, I need to be reminded sometimes when, if I don't get, for example, I've been rejected for every grant I've ever applied for huh. and that can, I, I stopped applying for them, uh, specifically for the databases. I was doing that a lot, got rejected for every single one and that would be frustrating and it would really get me down and it did, did help when I would complain about it and a friend or my husband would say, well, yeah, but look at what you have. And it's, it's extremely rare to have one book. And I'll, like everyone says they have a, or they say that everyone has a book in them, but <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, so I don't think everyone has one book in them. And a friend of mine who's a, a comedian insists that everyone, if they put 10 years in, they could be a, a working and good comedian. And I'm just like you're just he's not giving himself he enough comedian. credit. Yeah. He is a comedian. Yeah, he's just he's he's belittling his own profession, man. I've seen people who slogged away at it for decades. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's it takes yeah, a lot more than hard work sometimes, which is sad. Cuz you want to think that talent and hard work will get you anywhere, but it's not true. Yeah. And yes, even with both of them it won't and without any talent, yeah. <laughs> there's you need a little it, it's this magical potion of talent and luck and privilege and luck yeah and <sighs> privilege and hard work but not even some people the, the do without hard big. work yeah, the I luck feel is like huge. there's i was just talking to my friend and and saying that if i'd been pitching turning japanese just after crazy rich asians came out it life would be very different right mm. now <laughs> I mean, I love the book. I love that. I, I absolutely love what 2D Cloud did with it. I think it's beautiful. They 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 did such a good job with it. However, from from writing it and drawing it to be, it becoming a book, 
I feel like I really took out a lot of race stuff, not for 2D Cloud, but just trying to sell the book and trying to mm -hmm. get it to what the market wanted. But I did delete some stuff that now I think, wow, that would go over really well right now. Well, now it's time for the sequel. <laughs> you only get to turn it once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turning well, back. Depend, depending on, well, whether you mean in literally or the expression. Uh, <laughs> turning Japanese, which you can do all the time. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that brings me back. Um <laughs> I sang that song for a long time without knowing what it meant. Thanks for talking again. Thanks a lot, Jamie. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You can find all things Mari Naomi at marinaomi.com. That's M-A-R-I-N-A-O-M-I dot com. And you can find the show notes for this episode and all episodes of 15 Minutes at 15 minutes, jamieberger.com. That's the numerals one five M I N U T E S J A M I E B E R G E R.com. Next up in a couple of weeks will be author, comedian, podcaster, actor, John Hodgman. Ed Patnode is our intrepid engineer. Christian Kandari made the music. This is 15 minutes. I'm Jamie Berger. Jamie Berger. 